0: So no further ado, like every Tuesday night, we have an amazing speaker that uh, many of us know and love. He does a step series here on Tuesday. Peter speaks throughout the world. He gives his talks on spirituality, on God, on the big book, and I've learned so much from him. So I'm really excited once again that you're here and very grateful. Can we all welcome Peter? know you know me, but I don't know about the love part. The <laughs> jury's still out on that. Okay. Let's see if we get this right. My name is Pete. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Thank you. I'm grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, glad to be here. Um, I thought we had one more week last week. I think we wrap up next week. Um, I think. I don't know. We're here now. Um, June 23rd, 1988 was my separation from alcohol. And uh, I'm very grateful to have been given this message in no uncertain terms uh, by the teachers that God put before me, and still continue to put before me. Uh, I speak to my sponsor now on Monday nights. It's not Wednesday because he's involved with church, and we'll go back to Wednesdays in a few weeks. And, uh, you know, sober a few years now, and... Um, I look forward to that call, um, unless I have a secret that I don't want to tell And I don't look forward (laughs) to the call. But uh, Tuesday nights at 7, I mean Monday nights at 7, we spend about an hour or so on the phone. And, you know, as I always said, I have my inventory from guys I sponsor. I have my inventory from my sponsor, which means you should also. um, I have my big book. I have my Bible. I have my notepad and pen. And, you know, I put on the student's cap and, and off we go and uh, I'm always better for it uh, when the phone calls over and I'm still amazed at my sponsor's dedication to me and the men and women he sponsors that I dial his phone number and he picks up Um, and if he can't be there it's because he had something to do and he always uh, lets me know Um, step 11 um, we talked about the evening practice last night and um, I I see where God takes us with the morning practice Um, I I will tell you uh, the over time, in, in, in being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and practicing these principles, uh, God willing, in all my affairs, you know, this 11 step, 10 and 11, uh, the strict spiritual disciplines in 10 and 11 have evolved, and um, they've taken on new meaning as we evolve, and uh, what I've, I shared last week... Uh, In order to be free, there needs to be change. You need change in order to be free. And what brings about change is suffering and and pain and, and quite frankly, sometimes misery. And until I got to experience that kind of pain and misery and suffering, why would I need to change? And then something happens when I get into the change lane that little by slowly, as the tree is pruned, I start to experience freedom. Freedom from the bondage of self. Not necessarily you, because you're not my problem. The world out there is not my problem. My problem was always within and always will be within, based on my perceptions and conceptions of everything. And what I've, what I've learned is that my perceptions of situations cause me pain and suffering, never the reality or even rarely the reality of actually what's going on. It's how I'm perceiving it, how I'm internalizing, how I'm personalizing it, where it becomes all about me. Well, I will tell you, the eleven step says on awakening. And um, from early sobriety on awakening, I took that literally. And one morning I woke up and my eyes opened and I was still groggy. And it became on awakening where I immediately went to God and thanked him for the day that I was alive. I was awake. I was in my own bed, not an abandoned building. And uh, I knew I was the night before and it progressed. But I will tell you the last, uh, I'm going to say a few weeks, six weeks, four weeks uh, my 11th step has uh, been one of, at times, pleading for endurance, for strength, for courage, and to really clear up the road for me simply to do God's work because I've been surrounded with toxic stuff, really toxic stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, an Alcoholics Anonymous, read, read the uh, responsibility statement, AA is a little different than when you work in this business. It's a job and you get paid for it, and loved ones entrust their loved ones to you to do a job. And so um, it doesn't have traditions there. It's a business. And so I have a responsibility. But one of my frustrations, and you can really get the GPS, it can get real foggy, is when do you stop helping people who don't want help? When do you back off of someone who's loaded with selfish and inconsiderate habits and lying all the time? When do you say, let's just move on? Now, I'm in the business a long time. And I did the same thing. And I've run into all sorts of walks of life from, you know, uh, people who were in Hollywood to musicians to, to pimps to hookers. You name it. I had them in my group at some point. So that thing of we lie, we're dishonest, we're not nice people. That's just the way it's been. But some, somehow... Uh, it's taken on this, this, this it's gotten a shot of steroids. And um, I'm wondering over the last six weeks, is it even worth it? Is it worth going to work and pouring your heart out and no one's listening? Is it worth really sitting home and praying for endurance and strength and courage and direction? Father, please let me see what I'm supposed to do here when I'm spitting against the wind on most days. And uh, I, I, you know, I've made a billion mistakes and I'll continue to make mistakes and I have no problem with mistakes. My dad always told me that's why they put erasers on pencils. We make mistakes. That's different from someone who just doesn't care, who's gonna lie when you're just asking for just tell me the truth. And uh, so uh, I, I've never been a quitter, as the expression goes, when I fall, I fall forward. And God has always allowed me to land on my feet, so to speak. But there have been times over the years in the business I'm in, which a lunacy commission should be appointed for me, if even <laughs> agreeing to be in this business, that I'm wondering, why am I in this business? This is insanity. Because I handle AA one way, but you have to put on the business hat when you walk through the door. And so on awakening, uh, when I do my prayer, and I go into the next room, Marion's doing her rosary beads, and sometimes we'll pray together on the rosary beads. But I'm asking my father to uh, just, just light me up for endurance, because sometimes the endurance runs low. And the passion, because sometimes say, what's it all worth? And on and on and on. And it isn't to make me really good in my business, because what I do for a living, I've always done well. I've been given favor by God to do that. And I work the way I work. If you listen to my, some of my groups, some of my guys and ladies are here, I talk like a truck driver in a group, and I don't care. And I bark when I have to, and I don't care. And I'll continue to do that, but I'm asking God in my morning meditation and prayer just for the endurance to put one foot in front of the other and show me that what I'm doing for a living counts, that it matters. And so what happens, I walk into a group, and Dan (coughs) W. is sitting right here. And I remember Danny. I remember Danny when he was very sick. And he came up to my office at the last place of uh, uh, employment uh, that I was working, almost unemployment. An um, and he, he, he was really sick. He was, he was dissolving in front of me and, and Art at the time. And uh, we were trying to talk him into coming in. And I didn't know if we resonated with him. And when you left, we thought we were going to plan a funeral. You now Danny's working in the business and sober a little while now. And is a gentleman, a sober gentleman. And so God sent you down. I'm going to tell you this from the heart. God sent you down here for me tonight, because you live far from here. And I'm wondering, you know, my AA is my AA. I'll come, I'll speak in Timbuktu if they ask me. I have no, this is what I do, this is who I am. uh, Sitting in the back or behind a podium, but the business I'm in, I'm just, is it worth it? And then you show up. And I walked into this meeting tonight and said, just chop wood and carry water, Pete. And then Stephen's here and a few other people from my last place. And they're here. i got a whole bunch of, Carlos, hope Randy, a whole bunch of alumni that are kicking butt. So God has an interesting way of showing up when you think it, how dark it is before the dawn. And I, I, I really uh, hope that people get to meet you and some of the alumni to see what AA and God does. And now Danny's telling me he's looking to get into scripture. To enhance this experience. Standing where I am, that's miracle. That's miracle stuff happening. Because there's a guy I couldn't even talk to, couldn't even teach. Um, But when we suffer, we look to change. And when we experience change, we find freedom. And those are just necessary ingredients. But tomorrow morning, if God wakes me up, I will continue to pray for endurance and beg him for endurance. (laughs) and, 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 And keep me chopping wood and carrying water. And if I talk to a room of 30 people and not interested, the next 30 might be. And maybe out of that 30, one will. And if that one gets over and finds us and we do our job and they pack into the stream of life, I sleep better at night. Because maybe I did make a little difference. And God used me as a vessel. Stephen, I beat him up so bad in my group. Poor Stephen. He's got PTSD for me. (laughs) But he sponsors people. We're here. There's a difference, I was telling some folks the other day, when it comes to this God, when it comes to on awakening. Again, I can read mechanics, but anyone can get up here and give you mechanics. It's about the layers underneath the steps, the layers in the words, but underneath the words uh, in the steps. You know, on awakening. We thought about the 24 hours, we consider 24 hours a day, we consider our plans for the day. It goes on and on, which I'll read hopefully in a little while. But what does all of that mean? You know, like step one says we admit it, we're over alcohol lies that become unmanageable. Okay, I memorize that. I'll go sound really profound and recite that to you. But what does that really mean experientially? What does step one mean at a gut level for me, not an intellectual level? Because the mind cannot take this spiritual walk. The doors are closed on the mind, but the spirit can, and that can be awfully frightening. But what does on awakening mean? What does this look like? And what is the difference? As I was sharing with some folks the other day, what is the difference between Communication and communion, it's two different area codes. C- you know, communications, we read how it works at how many meetings. And yet I go to so many meetings and someone says, I don't know how it works, but I know it does. They didn't get it. It's on page 58, how it works. <laughs> or we'll read a step, or we'll hear a lecture, we'll do something, we'll read a spiritual book. It's communication. The book is communicating something to us. Now the words in the book, like the words on the shades, are just words. They fall short of the real meaning or what's behind that. I shared it today when a loved one tells another, I love you, the thought is conveyed, okay, I got it. But there's so much, there's so many layers to that word. It means intimacy. And so when we talk about God, we will talk about God at our meetings. We will read about God in our big book. We will read about God in spiritual books. But what is it, in my experience, just communication or communion with God? And communion means intimacy. And what's my intimacy level with this God? The only thing that's going to save my life. Is prayer the most important event of my day or one of the 10,000 things I'm going to do today? And when I get up off my knees, do I jump right back into me again? See, the interesting thing about doing this work at different levels, deeper levels of consciousness, is that we don't feel uplifted. We don't feel I'm on top of the world. What we can experience, what I have experienced, is utter defeat, complete defeat in the presence of God. Now, the mind says, well, that's not a good thing. It's actually a wonderful thing because of myself, I am nothing the Father do with the works. I have found complete defeat in begging God for mercy, that I have no power. I cannot do this walk on my own. Thus, the need for God, more God, and I will, not, I will relinquish everything to have that relationship with God because without it I'm dead. How many things we put before God, very casually, and when we do this walk with God, do we really want to do the walk with God? Everyone says we want to have a relationship with God. Do you really want to have a relationship? Do we really want to let go and let God? That's another piece of communication. Let go and let God. Most of us don't even know what that means. Let go means literally let go of my life. It's none of my business. You do with me, God, as you want. So it means taking my job, taking my relationship, taking my money, taking everything. I'm signing up for that. Complete defeat in the presence of God. And sometimes we think, Through my prayer and meditation, I'm going to walk away floating around, not necessarily. Because if anyone has ever experienced something called dark night of the soul, it's completely the opposite. Where I'm praying and not getting anything. I'm meditating and not getting anything. And the more I pray and the more I meditate and the more I read, I'm finding myself even more lost. Because I have expectations of what's supposed to happen to me when I pray and when I meditate and God has other plans, what happens to many of us in deep prayer, interior prayer, and meditation, not five minutes, but going into a regular meditative life, that everything is stripped down, and it feels like in an unknown place, complete defeat, and what comes out is the person that God really created when everything is removed. How often do we want to go into prayer? I was one of them, And I want to see the journey involved, and my expectations must be met, and I'm praying for stuff because this is how my sober spiritual life is supposed to look. And God's saying, that's not what I have for you. And so I start to inflict my will on God, and here comes a whole boatload of fear, and I'm wondering how come I can't get in. It's because I'm still holding on to what my plans and designs are supposed to be like, feel like, smell like, look like. That's not the way it works. I was under the impression, early sobriety, well, I get sober. That means I get employed. I get the AA girlfriend. I get some money in my pocket. I should have a new car by now. I should be the CEO of some company. I don't know which one, but some company. And I think I'll go on the circuit and be an AA speaker. And everyone has to adore me. And I'll kill you if you don't. And so, you know what God did with that? I completely bottomed out with six months sobriety. And with about, I don't know, 10 years of sobriety at the house, the house with the white picket fence, the, you know, all the bells and whistles, God took everything. First time I experienced this thing called Dark Night of the Soul. And the spiritual walk, okay, the spiritual walk can be a very lonely walk. It feels lonely. It feels like I'm the only one. I'm picking up my cross and doing the walk, and I look around. Where is everybody? I thought we were all in this together, and I'm the only one down the road. Because what happens to many of us, still, as soon as God makes us uncomfortable, as soon as God starts to prune the tree a little too much for us, what do we do? We go back to what we always did. I'll just go to those other meetings. I'll just find another sponsor. These directions are too severe. My sponsor is too stern. I'm just going to hang out at the diner, and I'm just going to graze. Spiritual grazing. I'll take a little from there. I'll take a little from there. take a little from there. But I'm never all in committed to a way of life. And once I commit in step three, and I try to pull out, guess what? God's not suffering. I'm suffering. Because struggle is just an illusion anyway. Because I know the way out of this. I know the truth. I see the men and women in Alcoholics Anonymous who are joyous, happy, and free. Whether they're in Scripture, big book, or both of them, whatever they're doing is working. I know the solution. And I raise my hand and say, well, I'm struggling. No, you're not. You're delusional and all the struggle is is to satisfy the ego well, I'm trying, I'm struggling no, you're not no, you're not Once you go ask that guy to be a sponsor oh, I don't want to bother him <laughs> if he was flock with a drug dealer he'd be the first one online <laughs> I think one of the most frustrating things for me it's actually heartbreaking when I sponsor men and they call me up and they're driving in their car now, if it's an emergency, something happened. I, I get all of that. When my guys call me up and they're in their car, that means you're driving, which means you can't be reading a big book, you can't be reading the Bible, you can't read me inventory. And when you're driving, it's kind of surface. Usually, it's like you're on a speakerphone. It's just quick. You're not going to have any deep, intimate conversation while you're on 95. But when I call my sponsor and Marion's here to be witness, I close the door to my prayer room. Not to keep her out, because I can't have distractions. I can't hear the TV in the next room. Or if maybe Marion's cooking, it's distra- This is that important to me. I close the door. I have my big book. I have my inventory. I have my Bible. I have a pen, and I have highlighters, just in case. And I submit to whatever he has for me. That's called discipline. Now, I'm not that disciplined, but God has disciplined me to the spiritual life. And my sponsor will say, what do you need to go over? And I read right off the page. I don't go off book and ad lib. Because what he does is say, go back to the paper. So that's how I seek my reco- One of the ways I seek my recovery. I have a sponsor. I don't have a sponsor in name only. I don't have a sponsor I call once a month when it gets hot. I have a sponsor I speak to once a week. And if he was local, I'd probably be be at his house once a week. This is how I do it. If I do 10 push-ups, you're going to try to do 10. I don't need you to do 11, but you're going to try to do 10 because that's what I do. But don't call in sick. And it breaks my heart because the path we're on is one to freedom, one to bliss, as Bill called it, utopia. And yet we keep pushing the platter away with lies and deceitfulness and dishonesty and manipulation and self-will run riot to the umpteenth level. Thinking I'm going to trick my or beat my disease or I'm going to trick or beat God when the illness is just taking leaps and bounds closer to me and I get hijacked and I'm wondering how this happened. And then I realize that some folks are just constitutionally incapable of being honest, that going through treatment centers and detoxes is their way of life. That's what they do. And then they'll expire one day. So that's been some of my my stuff in the morning and my inventory at night on Awakening. Let me think about the 24 hours ahead. Oh, Lord, I got eight coming up at work. I need to be having the armor of God right now. And how do I walk through that with no residue when I leave work, with no residue when I walk into my AA meeting, no residue when I want to go on a vacation, no residue when I travel? And I'll share something with you. I was in Tacoma this weekend and um, did a talk out there in a couple of panels. Actually, Matt and I got to do a little talk together. And uh, a gentleman came up to me. Uh, he was on the committee there, and he, he asked me for my time. And I said, absolutely, let's go talk. And he says, I really enjoyed what you said. Uh, you didn't break traditions, but I knew the book you were pulling from. And obviously in the book, you were talking about God and this new thing with your, you I'm a Catholic too. And we had this really neat conversation. And I shared with him exactly what I had done and what I continue to do. And I asked him, I said, would you give me spiritual consent? He says, absolutely. I says, here here are your directions. You're going to go to something called Confession next Saturday to get clean. And on Sunday, you're going to go to church and receive Holy Communion clean. And that's going to be your commitment on Sundays. Will you do that? And he agreed. He called me yesterday. He left his wonderful message, long message on on uh, on my phone, how excited he was to return to church. This guy has a few years sober, and we're still searching and still teachable, and that's now going to be a part of his unawakening, part of his going through the day. Now I know I got invited out there for a talk, but maybe I got out, got invited out there to give a talk, but to meet this fellow. Those are the conditions. Those are God conditions. I need you in Tacoma. You're going to give a talk, but there's somebody there you need to meet for 10 <laughs> minutes, 5 minutes, 20 minutes. You're going to flip him. You're going to change his life. I'll give you the words. Never worry about the words we speak. The follower will provide him for us. He gave me the words. I was pretty direct with this man. And he was open to that. How refreshing. So I don't look for any kind of, when I pray and meditate, when I, when I first started meditating, I was taught how to meditate. The importance of going into sacred silence to hear and darkness to see. But I didn't know about posture. I didn't know about breath, and I was taught that. And my first time in meditation was just a couple of minutes and my head felt like it was going to blow up because I had a chatter of a thousand voices. The interesting thing is when we go silent, we realize how noisy we were. When we start practicing rigorous honesty, we realize how big of a liar we were. And when we step into the light, we realize how dark we had been. And so in these two minutes at first of meditation, I'm touching noise that's been with me constantly. I don't know how to go quiet, but eventually I did. And the noise still shows up. But I got into reading all these meditation books and all these things. And I had this this OCD. Read this, read that, read this, read this. And then go pray, then go meditate. And read some more before you leave the house. Forget a book, drive back, finish the book. That's communication. There's no communion in that. Got incense, got bells, got chimes, got candles, got CDs, got all sorts of stuff. Got to get new spiritual books. All communication. What's my communion with God? I don't need books. I don't need sage. I don't need gongs. I don't need any. I don't even need a big book. I don't even need scripture to have communion with God. What I need is pure intent. Father, anything you say, for me to do, I'll do. Wherever you need me, I'm going. And please take me like the wretch I am and heal me. What communion that is. And then throughout my day, it's not only conscious contact for me, but it's constant contact, communion, about silly things and about important things. My communication with God is communion. It's not God, get me out of this one, because I haven't, because of AA, I haven't been in a jam like, God, get me out of this one, I'll never do it again. Sometimes when I walk into work, though, I say, God, get me out of this one, I'll never do it again. (laughs) So my my on-awakening looks like this in the morning. On-awakening, my eyes open up. I make contact with my God before I even roll out of bed. Because I was taught a long time ago, if I wait 10 minutes or 15 minutes or 20 minutes before I pray, that means self is running self, which means I could get drunk. And if I think I can't, I have a first-step problem. If I think I won't get hijacked in those 20 minutes, boy, do I have an ego problem. So the first thing before I roll out of bed, I literally mean this, my eyes open, you know, you're kind of coming around and I get my senses, Father, thank you for this day. I have some communication with God. What I'm actually doing is having communion with God because my life, my heart is on the line here. And I have a prayer room. I set up an altar, not like a church, but it's an altar. It's a holy place in our house with a meditation mat and pictures of the carpenter. I have some Eastern stuff there off the altar. I have some things that are near and dear to us, people, things that people in AA have brought us. All these AA trinkets, religious articles, a stack of rosary beads. It's a holy place, and you can feel it. And that's where I go to. That's where I go to all the time. That's where I seek my refuge and my communion with God. And over the years, I've always had this. There's been times where I, thought God, I felt like God was not listening anymore. There were times when I had skepticism and doubt that why should I even try dialing God up? He's got bigger fish to fry. Why even deal with me? Again, I'm going back to him. Again, I've screwed up. Again, I'm in pain. Again, again, I kept falling forward. And on some days, the best gift I can give my God is my sin. Who else am I going to give it to? And he embraces it. You do with me as thou wilt. One of the most powerful lines in our big book. And we go right past it. Because here it is in step 11. I'm saying the same thing. And so I hit the mat on my knees. There's been a few times I couldn't get out on my, knee, on my knees. got knee surgery and I blew my back out. And I just couldn't do it. God knew that. So I sit in a chair. And when I'm back and knee healed, I got back on my knees. There's something to that. There's some sort of uh, reverence we're given to God. (laughs) I ran into someone a long time ago, so I don't get on my knees. My religion says no. I said, you've been on your knees for a bag of dope. You can get on your knees for God. (laughs) And so I, I, I make some prayer. And then what I do is I get up off my knees and I sit on this mat in this meditation posture and I work with some breath just to kind of get the breathing right. If there is a right and wrong. (laughs) And then I sit. Like this. And I wait. And I just breathe. Sometimes I think of a word. Sometimes I think of a passage from scripture or, or, or the big book. Usually just breath in silence, and the noise is going, and then it gets quiet, and sometimes in those meditations over the years, I'm wondering, where am I going with this, I sit for five minutes, ten minutes, nothing happens, I didn't know it's like plowing the field, the chopping wood and carrying water, you plow the field, and you plant some seeds, you keep watering, you see nothing, your hands hurt, your back hurt, your knees are scraped, I plow this field, I planted seeds, there's nothing happening, what a waste of time, and then you walk out one morning, and there it is. And so over the years, I keep plowing the field, and God saw the ground fertile enough and says, "Now I will give you a change. Now I will give you growth. Now I will give you some insight, insight. Now I will give you different ways of looking at things, a new set of eyes, because my shoulders are wide enough to heal to, 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 to have that. And sometimes God would give me information that I did not want to hear. Get out of this relationship. I remember when I was going through divorce, I'm a Catholic, you get married, you don't get divorced. You do not get divorced as a Catholic. My ex-wife was addicted to cocaine booze and anything else that was mood of mine altering. There was infidelity in the relationship. She was not coming home for days at a time. What do I do with this? God, what do I do? Am I less than a man that I couldn't keep a woman? My manhood was tested, my AA, my spiritual, everything was tested. It was that dark spot, that desert. And I'm praying you, are you even listening? I wept on the altar. I argued on the altar. I cursed at the altar. God knows I like to curse once in a while. He didn't ban me from AA. When the time was right, he gave me crystal clear clarity. And what I was able to experience was integrity, dignity, strength, courage, direction, and endurance to walk through that. And I came out of that with zero money. Her and a boyfriend took my house, the car, the bank account, everything. I was left with the ATM said, insufficient funds. And I had no job. And I'm sober. Okay, God, this better be good. <laughs> this better be good. I'm here. <clears throat> What I do for living is challenging, but where I work, it's plentiful. The people I work for, I've been looking to work with people like this forever. God put that in my path. There was a time where, where am I going, God? Where's this going? The tunnel, there's no light at the end of this tunnel. But you fall forward and you chop wood and carry water. And there's misbelief, there's misperception that because I pray and meditate, I'm suddenly dancing around the world. It isn't like that sometimes. You've got to carry a very heavy cross at times. And there are times where you feel as light as a feather. Through it all, however, I'm here to report to you whether the external conditions are really, really heavy and dark or they're light and <coughs> wonderful. Toodle. there's an undercurrent that we get, it's called God, God's will, just finding God in it, finding uh, 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 so, some sort of holiness or being, knowing your call to sanctity. There's something underneath all of that that uh, it's okay. It's going to be okay. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I just know it's going to be okay. And that was the cushion I would fall on. And it didn't come from me, it was that quiet voice and it wasn't even, Peter, it's going to be okay. It was just an understanding between me and God, because that's how God will speak, that it's going to be okay. And if you told me how, I don't know. I just know it is. And so what I go do is go work with a drunk. Go find a drunk to work with, a none to work, get to the meeting early, and just be of service. Be a servant. And somehow, some way, it gets plugged in again, and things start to click again. But what happens is when things start, and this has been my experience, when things start to fire right, uh, click, and the money's coming, and the job is there, and the relationship is right, I seem to go about it differently. There's a right size to that. Because I take no credit for it. I know this comes from God. And we're able to get clear enough eyes and clear enough ears to discern this is godly and I'm going to treat it accordingly and this is not and I will treat that with love as well Ray you're not the only one who needs glasses I can't see Okay. it says on awakening let us think about the 24 hours ahead we consider our plans for the day Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking. Thought, thinking, thinking, thought. God needs to direct my thinking because when I'm in charge of my thinking, bad things are going to happen. Not that I'm going to go out and rob a bank yet, but I'm going to quickly start lying to you. I'm going to manipulate. I'm not going to pack into the stream. What what starts to take over is the selfish, self-centered, self-seeking drunk. And I can't be in a place and say, well, I'm sober this long. That'll never happen. I have a first step problem if I think it doesn't or won't. I consider my plans for the day before I begin. I ask God to direct my thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. Now, guys, I, I don't want to give them the impression that, like, I do things perfect because I screw up a lot. I, make, I, my in, I write inventory all the time. I get resentments. I get fears. I get angry. I get overwhelmed, get fearful, but there's a way out. My human condition is a magnet to that stuff. Imagine being just left with the human condition, trying to navigate through life and stay sober. I need a double vodka just thinking about that. (laughs) Under these conditions, what conditions? Asking God to uh, divorce me from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. It says we can employ our mental faculties with assurance, for after all, God gave me a brain to use. It's proper use of the will is what they're talking about here. It's not managing my life. It's proper use of the will. I go to God. He gives me direction, and I throw everything at it. I go. Like when we go work with a drunk. We go work with a drunk. We throw everything we have at, at that. I'm not working with a drunk so he can give a talk and give me credit. That's, that's managing my life. When when one of my guys get a a year coin, I'm not expecting any kind of uh, uh, kudos in my direction. That's God's work. I was just a little piece of that. But if I'm sponsoring a guy, when he gets his year coin, I'm hoping he mentions me. That's managing my life. We have a lot of managers in AA. (laughs) My thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when my thinking is clear of wrong motives. I mean, how many times is this book going to tell me, Pete, don't think? There's an author out there who says, he says it much better than I can ever attempt to. You don't need a mind. And you really don't need to think. Why do I need to think? Why do I even need a mind? When my trust and reliance is truly on God, God will give me that intuitive go here, say this, don't say anything, stay put. Planning a trip. God, what do I do? Let's pack some clothes. Thanks, God. <laughs> Here's me managing my life. Well, I need an outfit for every 20 minutes because in case it rains, in case it snows, in case it is, and they won't like this if I wear that, so I should do this. And, you know, I'm not even going to go on a trip. <laughs> That's me managing my life. Marion left. So I stand in front of my closet, and I say, okay, God, what are we wearing? She says, did you hear what you just said? I snow. No. But I still manage my life sometimes. I still get my own way. And if I didn't say that, you'd have a liar as a speaker. Because I'm flawed. I tell you, I leak oil. I'm the car that leaks oil. I'm broken, I'm flawed. That's my condition. It will always be my condition. But that doesn't stop me from striving and seeking oneness with God. Because somewhere in that, Our book talks about being effective agents for God. Meaning God will give us the insight, the know-how, to be able to commune with another drunk and flip them and bring them home. And when they don't want it, he says, just move on to another one. My big book says, just move on to another one. Page 96 talks about that. Later on in the book, it says, as I go through the day, I pause when I'm agitated or doubtful. And I ask for the right thought or action. Who am I asking? Well, the first move is God. And during the day, sometimes I have to pause. Many times, and pause isn't just a beat. Sometimes pause can be just stay put. Just be still for a while. Don't react. Okay, God, what do, what do I do with this? I have to speak Latin when I talk to God. I can just say, God, I don't know what the hell to do. What do I do? And if I'm still not getting it, I will write inventory. Anyone knows me, I'm writing inventory or I'm calling my sponsor, Mickey, I don't know what to do about this. Sometimes I talk to Mary, I I can't see clear on this. What what, what do we do about this? What do I do about this? And our book says the answers will always come if my house is in order. Is our house in order? Because if it isn't, the answer I'm getting is from me with my self-seeking, self-centered, self-absorbed, egotistical, prideful way. I have service to no one. So step 11, these disciplines, 10 and 11 I should say, really prune the tree. And what's left at the end is what God intended at the beginning. A little bit older, a little bit more broken down for some of us. Some of us are just out of the starting gate. But it's really interesting what happens. And I can speak from experience. When there's no money, there's no applause, there's no relationship, there's nothing to fall back on, that's when I found out who I really was. And that's when you found out who Peter Marinelli really was. And I have friends up in Jersey who walk me through days like that. And that's one of the reasons why we are so close. I wasn't Peter the sponsor, the guy who speaks around, or any of that stuff. I was Peter, a human who happened to be in AA and is going through really, really difficult financial times, employment times, marriage times. And they saw me for what I was. You know what? They they drew closer to me. What an awakening that was. That what God created was sufficient. Because God is sufficient. That's all I got. Peace. Thank you.